David, the Democratic convention this week featured celebrity hosts. What I want to know is, will the Republicans be able to come up with celebrities next week? And who will they be? <laughs> um... I love when people complain, by the way, about how, like, there's not, like, you know, Hollywood's too liberal of a place. You know who never complains about this in good faith is that the conservative Hollywood celebrities who <laughs> the only th- the only reason why you've heard of Scott Baio or Dean Cain or, uh, frankly, like James Woods in the past, like, decade is because they're is because they're the conservatives that are that are still out there. I don't know. I hope that we get yeah, who who are the real. Who, who had some real good ones be Kid Rock? Yeah. Okay, I think Kid, Kid Rock might actually already be involved in the convention. Has John Vo- is John Voigt done? I mean, John, John Voigt and Gary Sinise should have a two man show that's just like, if, <laughs> if it weren't for my conservative <laughs> politics, I would, no one would know who I was. Um, uh, Kelsey Grammer, who was just great. Oh. Um, yeah. In that, uh, that, that movie with Edge, Money Plane. Like, I highly, highly endorse that. I don't know. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of really funny celebrities out there. It's, I don't know why they can't get them on one in one place at one time. But there's um, actually a bigger list than maybe I thought we'd be able to come up with. Well, a bigger, a big list of people like you and I are familiar with, but not exactly a big list of like you know big name. Oh my God, I'm looking at an article right now that is chronicling some of this. This just in. This just in. This is a name that usually the same names over and over again. Here's one that I maybe I'm dumb. I didn't know, and I'm. I'm almost afraid to tell you because I know about the significant place he has in your childhood. Are you aware that John Rice Davies is a <laughs> prominent conservative celebrity? <laughs> what? Oh my God! My, my 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 childhood just got murdered today. What what the Star Wars prequels didn't do, that just did. It's time for the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Media consumers, happy Friday. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. As the Irish poet Seamus Haney once said, David, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to answer your listener mail, including the question, what is the worst pun meteorologists are using in 2020 and how do we stop it? Plus, David guesses a strain pun headline and a politics-themed overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, we're here to talk about the Democratic Convention, the virtual convention which ended Thursday night with a short but fiery speech by Joe Biden. First, let's talk about the convention as TV. Because I wrote down Wednesday night that after the changes the Democrats made because of the coronavirus, I didn't feel like I was watching a political convention. I felt like I was watching an award show complete with celebrity hosts like Ava Longoria Bastone and Kerry Washington. And then on Thursday, Julia Louis-Dreyfus comes out and she's doing bits. Just remember, Joe Biden goes to church so regularly that he doesn't even need tear gas and a bunch of federalized troops to help him get there. Yeah, it's all in the delivery, isn't it? Is it I, I don't want to pick oh, too yeah. obvious a target, but if that had been, you know, Jeff Foxworthy, he could have done the same joke, but you wouldn't <laughs> have had that awkward moment where you were looking at your wife wondering if you just heard a joke at all, you know? And that was, <laughs> I think, sort of the shtick for the whole night, right? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, look, Political conventions have been becoming TV shows for 50 plus years now. This is not a new trend, but something happened this year where I feel they adopted a whole different grammar of television. Yeah. And it's somewhere between a studio show like we would see for the NBA, an award show, and with Julia Louis-Dreyfus especially last night, the Arrested Development v. Parks and Rec comedy zone with no laugh track, as you say, but jokes delivered to the camera in this kind of offhand manner. Okay, all of those were elements of it. And I have to say this. First of all, I thought technologically, presentation-wise, this week was an enormous triumph for the Democratic Party, but also politics at large. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, writ large. I, I do. I think it was great. That said, the one point of comparison you didn't mention that I couldn't get away from was PBS. Uh, and I, and I do, there were times even during Barack Obama's soaring, soaring speech 
where I expected him to like spend the next line thanking us for our donations and telling us a tote bag was on the way. Uh, there, uh, even like, I was watching Kamala Harris, and there was a little bit of that. Like it was a, li- it wasn't just a donation drive. It was like, it was like there were parts. So much of it felt like a British stage production trying to make its way out of a, or make hay out of a slow zoom, sort of. You know, I mean, like trying to like <laughs> fill up the TV screen. Um, but part of what that led to, and this goes back to your Julia, Julia Louis Dreyfus point, is a real focus on the words. Right. Yes. They managed to oh, they managed to produce it heavily, but not overproduce it in such a way that you were paying attention to. Every little thing that was going on in the background or like, you know, things that were there's no distraction from the text of the speeches. And in that sense, despite it being so modern media friendly, it was very much a writer's a writer's production. Right. This was it was like a this was a David Mamet play. You know, this was like we were we are here for the words on the page and for their presentation. And uh, and and I thought, it, you know, it was, like I said, a huge success. Yeah, I feel like we need Greenwald and Ryan and, and Fennessy in here to talk about the show running of the Democratic yeah. National Convention. Yeah. Something I'd never thought I'd say. And by the way, if we want to throw one more element in there, along with, as you say, the PBS telethon. Where mm-hmm. Kamala Harris is going to say, if you like programs like Downton Abbey, please consider a contribution. How about with that Bruce Springsteen bumper music? Mm-hmm. Did you get a little bit of a Chevy truck commercial kind of vibe <laughs> every time they would they would uh, swing between segments? Well, there because- was, especially in the sort of, well, the coronavirus era has, we've talked about this before, has brought us a lot of sort of sameness uh, and heartstring tugging uh, across the commercial board. And all of the all of the sort of Joe Biden, the real man promo packages evoked that a little bit. Uh, you, you, in the world that we live in now, and part of this is like it's not just COVID era; it's also like Super Bowl, like big Super Bowl spots and 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 emotional ad campaigns and stuff. But there isn't that much of a difference between uh, why I drive this truck and like I lost my family to several horrible tragedies, and now I'm running for president. Yeah, well, there there are certainly emotional. They're different. They're kind of like subtle emotional notes. I totally agree. Let's do a very simple convention breakdown, and you're going to hear me try not to say the words "convention winners" and "losers," but but that's basically it. We'll break it down into stuff that was great, stuff that was kind of odd but likable, and stuff that did not work. Category one: great stuff. Joe Biden's speech on Thursday night. It was short, David, twenty four minutes and change versus 56 minutes for Hillary Clinton four years ago, even counting the applause. That's an incredible difference, but it was very Biden red meat to the camera and including some very, very useful formulations like this one. Our current president has failed in his most basic duty to the nation. He's failed to protect us. He's failed to protect America. And my fellow Americans, that is unforgivable. Yeah, I, I thought that I th- there, there were parts of the week where it felt like Trump's. How do I say this? Trump's broadly defined badness, uh, evil, <laughs> depending on your, your, your point of view, was so enormous that it was hard for certain people to wrap their their uh, words around sort of, uh, mm-hmm. it was hard to really, you know, I thought watching Bernie Sanders several times, you remember the like lovely days when this was all about the creep of authoritarianism, you know, and, and now, and it seems like the problems have gotten so much worse that it's really hard to kind of point your finger and say, this is why we need to vote this guy out of office. It's not, you don't have the vocabulary for it. Joe Biden found the words for it right there. He managed to, to chisel it into a perfect point. And, uh, and, and that was really great. Yeah. And it was by making it simple. It was by making it Biden-esque and not, not necessarily going for soaring language. He did have some, I thought his, the wrap up of his speech was very, very well written, but most of it was Joe Biden looks straight into a camera and tells you what he thinks, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what Joe Biden should be doing and giving a political speech. Shouldn't be trying to be Barack Obama. Shouldn't be trying to be Donald Trump or anybody else. He should just, like, he he has gotten this far by being Joe Biden, and he should keep doing that. Mm-hmm. I was at the convention four years ago, the Democratic convention. I thought one thing the Hillary Clinton convention utterly failed to do was 
define Hillary Clinton as a person outside of politics, outside of what she stood for. And again, that yeah. was a very hard task given all mm -hmm. the misogyny in the world and all the Trumpy stuff in the world. But I didn't feel they ever really did it during that convention. I feel Joe Biden's team pounded that rock all four days of this convention. Yep. Largely with video packages, partly with Jill Biden, partly with packages about his son, Bo Biden. Uh, but they, you came away with a sense, and I think I'm stealing this from Gloria Borger, but that empathy is Joe Biden's superpower. Yep. This is a guy who will actually feel your pain no matter what Bill Clinton said way back when. And that to me was maybe the most important part, again, for most voters. I understand some people are like, well, they should have had more policy. They should have had more this and this. I'm like, I don't know. Joe Biden is a good man who will help contain the coronavirus. Seems like the bumper sticker you wanted people to come away from this convention with, and they did. The coronavirus thing was interesting in that it seemed like this was the first time. Well, I mean, making it a political issue, especially from from, you know, the dim side has always been tough. Right. Especially because you don't want it to hamper what minimal efforts are going on in the White House to, to try to, you know, stem the the advance of the virus. But they really did make coronavirus a campaign point this week. And um, I mean, just straight up saying here are the three th here are the big four things he's going to do. And one of them is like, stop this plague. Right. <laughs> and uh, and um, they. Again, the the way that they they presented it, that they managed to make it seem like a tangible political argument, you know, or or, or, or you know, a tangible concept. It, it was it was really really well done. And you're right about the empathy. Over and over again, they they were able to make him seem really empathetic. And I think, you know, it's in the same breath, very very human. I thought that the biggest, not just defining him as a human being, and obviously Bo Biden looms so large this week. I mean, he might have had more screen time than his dad. You know, I mean, he he was he, it was a huge and important um, element of of the week. Mm -hmm. But separate from his own biography, I thought that the most important thing that they tried to accomplish during the first three days of the convention was to make it seem like Joe Biden didn't want to be president. Or, or that he was only doing this out of a sense of obligation to country and to humanity and to cause. It's been right? called to duty. Absolutely. It was. And, and there have been many times in our lives where we've seen politicians try to try to do that. I mean, listen, every political campaign, every, every campaign season is marked by, especially this one, all these big name people who were, who were just begging to get dragged kicking and screaming into the race. And eventually they just got to ride in on, their own, on a you know, horse of their own construction or whatever. But- um, but they made it seem like, and we'll come back to this, like Biden was doing this out of empathy and out of obligation, out of a sense of, of responsibility and duty. And then Joe Biden himself got on the microphone, uh, you know, stood up in front of everybody and made it an argument about how these are things that we have to do. It wasn't just about him. It was about how he is part of the us, part of the we, part of this country who had who we have to do these things in order to move forward. It's not a partisan issue. It is a community issue. And Jill Biden made that metaphor you're talking about explicit in her speech. Joe Biden put together, put his broken family back together after mm -hmm. tragedy twice. He is the guy who can put this broken nation back together. Yeah. She said it explicitly. It was it was one of those moments where you went, "Whoa." And and you know, and again, that that if that is his superpower, right? Yep. You put it front and center. Number two, David, on my great list, the staging of the speeches. Democrats are robbed of this giant cheering crowd at the Pfizer Forum. So what do we do? They ask. Well, when Dr. Jill Biden comes out, they put her in an empty school. Guess what? Mm -hmm. People like David and I are worried about right now. Kids going back to school. Yeah. Let us triple underline that on our piece of notebook paper by putting her, a former teacher, a current teacher, in an, in an empty school, mm -hmm. okay? Michelle Obama, let's put that camera up real close to her so that it looks like she's just having a conversation with you mm -hmm. on Monday night. That was incredibly effective. The only one I thought they really got wrong was Kamala Harris because she was on that big stage 
and they hadn't quite figured out how to do the stage yet on Wednesday night. So she looks like she was on Scott Van Pelt's Sports Center set, you know, and you're kind of <laughs> going, this is awfully big. There's a lot of space around here. But you notice they fixed that on Thursday night. They went in really tight on Biden mm-hmm. and it worked once again. Yeah. I mean, I thought I thought Harris's speech was a triumph, but I agree about the staging. Um, it seemed like. Like your your Michelle Obama point was 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 a good one. They made that decision really, really deliberately, right? I mean, if, whether or not it was effective to you as the viewer, I think it was effective overall uh, quite a bit. It was, and it was a tight, tight zoom, mm-hmm. so tight that I was like, did they even did they forget that like they, that there's a crawl on all these networks, you know? Because it was, good. but then <laughs> over the course of the of the speech you realize it, they pulled back. It was such a steady, like, reverse zoom. I'm sure that's not the right word for it. That by the time the speech ended, it wasn't a, it was, it was about, you know, collarbone up. You could see your hands making points. You know I mean? Yes. She was, like, it was, it was a, it was a physical, emotional thing. And you sort of, it, it transformed from a one-on-one, from a conversation, like you said, to a speech, to a, to a, to a rallying cry. And that's what, I, and that really worked. You set that in in contrast to her husband's speech, and it was the camera was very still. You know, it was a very straightforward, yes. like I said, like thank you for watching this channel, sort of feel like sort of uh, camera choice. But his but his delivery is obviously on another planet than every other living human, right? I mean, it was the power is in the power is in his mouth and his eyes, you know, and the words that come out. Um, Kamala Harris, it's I I was. I felt like I had to watch it with under the assumption that every every choice, everything that we saw was made with the same sort of deliberation. And I think that what was really important for her was one to, again, the words are what mattered, right? I mean, it was introducing herself. It was talking about her mom, talking about her family, um, talking about her place sort of in the world. Mm-hmm. But there was also, but it was also making her look, um, making the speech look different. And making it, making, giving her a sort of gravitas, right? That this wasn't just a pre-prepared video package of any of these other people that we've, that we'd seen over the course of the week, right? And it's sometimes, there were sometimes where you would, would watch, was it night, what night was it where the secretaries of state were on there from California and New, and was it California and New York that, that, um, they were talking about voting rights. And I stopped, I stopped there and was just like, wait, am I supposed to know who this guy is? And because I, I thought it was a man, a, a, a senator giving a speech or a congressman giving a speech, you know, because it did have a sort of very, there was a very like, here's a speech from my living room sameness to a lot of what we saw. And they made Kamala Harris's speech feel different than that, despite the fact that you're right. It did feel like you were worried she was going to get, you know, assaulted by a, by a boom mic at various points in the speech or something like so my point number three is rela- is very related to that. Shorter speeches across the convention, again, cutting the kind of Chuck Schumer's down from what, like 15, 20 minutes to something smaller than that, made those set piece speeches feel much more special. Mm-hmm. So Barack Obama felt special. Michelle Obama felt special. Jill Biden felt special. They, they just had so much more power because they cut those other speeches down. We didn't need to hear from other Democrats for 20 minutes. It really didn't need to be. And then those, those speeches, when you watch them during a quote unquote normal convention, they're not saying anything. They're they're just repeating, you know, and they're just kind of boring political speeches. Mm -hmm. I thought that again, a choice out of necessity turned out to be a really good choice. I could give you a lot more here, David, a lot of the video packages, including the one uh, about Biden's relationship with John McCain, I thought was really effective. Almost all the family video packages about Biden, Gabby Gifford's speech, which was talk about lump in your throat moments. Oh yeah. People like Elizabeth Warren, John Kerry. I, I come away with this idea and I'm not sure I want to, um, how much I want to invest in this, that the Biden team may be more media savvy than we thought. What do you yeah. think? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess that's for, you know, that's for the eventual, uh, you know, campaign books to tell us. But I think what I felt over the course of the week was that because of the circumstances, a lot of the decisions are probably being made by a very narrow slice of the campaign team, right? That, that suddenly the, like, you know what the ringer video team is, right? <laughs> I mean, you, like, you know, the, you, you know, the guys and gals who do this thing. Like if it, when they when when they when we're in a crunch time, they make magic, right? And this happens. This is in all walks of life. It's not just the video team, but I can point at these people who are normally down the hall or whatever. 
when when you're under the gun and when suddenly all everything that you were planning on doing is out the window, uh, real incredible things can happen, especially when it's a when it's you, you look at the people and you're like, you know how to produce video content for the internet. You are in charge now. Like forget about the 15 people who were your bosses yesterday. Go figure this out and make it awesome. And and really incredible things can come from that, you know? Um absolutely. Absolutely. I just I just thought it was I thought it the the team is regardless of how it happened, you're right. I mean, the Biden campaign team comes out of this looking really good. And if and and this is a separate point than the one I just made. The you know, one of the big themes of the week was was party unity, you know, with everybody's pitching in. And one has to also assume that there's probably a lot of very talented people who are pitching in to a you know to make a week like this as exceptional as it could be. So that's the great stuff from the convention. Now let's do a category called odd but likable. <laughs> okay. Number one, the 50 states plus territories roll call, which was truly incredible. Here's just a taste. This is Cozy Watkins, Democratic activist from North Carolina. I've been doing this for a long time, so let me just be plain. Black people, especially black women, are the backbone of this party. And if we don't show up, Democrats don't get elected. I'm putting on my mask and we're going to every corner in North Carolina to help organize because we need to make sure everyone shows up for Joe Biden. He will show up for us. North Carolina cast 39 votes for Bernie Sanders and 83 votes for the next president of the United States, Joe Biden. Was that the coolest America, <laughs> the beautiful thing you have ever seen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that whole roll call was just really spectacular. And that was that was one of the, the, the real high points. I, I just I mean, there was so much of this week that would that felt like, out of, you know, it was just absolute brilliance that came out of necessity. And that, I think, was one of the uh, you, you say, you know, weird, but strangely compelling or whatever. I mean, it was but it was just it was really cool. Yeah. And I, sh I should note that only by the standards of political conventions is it weird because political conventions themselves are incredibly weird. So this was mm -hmm. just doing something different and it worked. Uh, another one on my list, David, the night one closing musical act. So Ava Longoria signs off <laughs> and we go to Stephen Stills, rock legend and Billy so Porter, great. an actor who's done a ton of TV and Broadway. And they're singing for what it's worth. And like, the network, I think I was watching MSNBC, they took like 10 seconds of it. And then Brian Williams, like, well, that's that's night one of the convention. I was like, wait, what was that? <laughs> I texted you and I was like, did you see this? Did I, was I totally imagining that this happened? That was absolutely incredible. I totally agree. Um, you know, there was a lot of it's. I understand like the political uh, like the, you know, the, the necessities, the exigencies of, of programming television, especially during a political, you know, a, a news channel during a political convention. But there were so many times this week where whatever channel I was watching, you would see whoever the, the, the cast of of, you know, talking heads on there talking about the speech that had just happened or the speech that was to come. And in, and then silent in like the picture in picture, you would see, you know, <laughs> Ava Longoria and you'd just be like, real, like, this is not who we should be hearing right now. Like, I really, yeah. like, like, I love you, you know, I love you, Brian Williams, but I would much rather hear what, you know, Steven Stills is jamming right now, like, than, than whatever you think you got to say. <laughs> just the celebrity, the, the imbalance was so great. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, uh, it, it was always interesting to see what was going on. And how weird is that just to see, like, you see Ju Julia Louis-Dreyfus doing a thing. She's doing a bit and you don't get to hear the bit, you know, you, <laughs> you, you get to, you get to hear like Fox news say that, you know, whatever. Anyway, go on. Well, this is, you actually brought us to my, my final note here on odd, but likable from the DNC newscasters emoting all oh. week. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you noticed this too, but I just feel like this was one of the strangest weeks ever on cable news because everyone was caught up in this kind of somewhere between awe at what they had just watched. Mm -hmm. uh, they were happy. They were in, in some cases going on these kind of interesting emotional jags. This is right after Obama's speech. Uh, here's Nicole Wallace almost choking up on MSNBC. Say this about Obama. I have a hunch that every living former president would speak from the same deep well of despair 
Obama's speech shook me because of his despair laid bare. And if you have been the president, you probably feel, you probably have a well of fury that started the first day of the transition when Donald Trump and his son tried to set up a back channel to Russia to go around the intelligence community. There are many times, David, when cable news sounds like the way I feel when I'm watching a political speech. Mm -hmm. And I thought it in a way and maybe an accidental way, I don't know how, but it kind of captured that this week. What did you make of that? Nicole Wallace is an interesting one. I don't want to like spend too long on her, but it just seems like she spent a very long time learning how to be professional, a pro uh, not, not professional, learning how to be a, a television professional. And she's found her real magic, her real superpower in her humanity you know i mean it's and and any time that she's making a point with gusto you can see it again without the sound it's worth listening to um but yeah i i, I agree there was a lot of very human reactions uh, to what was going to you know to everything i mean even today i was watching msnbc uh uh and uh, Andrea Mitchell was on with John Meacham and John Meacham went into this like monologue that was just as powerful as could be. And uh, they basically were just like, it, and they, it went back to Andrea Mitchell and she was just like, this is maybe the most important moment in our friendship. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was like, so there's like this very human, these very human, but like formal interactions going on at the same time. It's, it's a, uh, it was, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the Trump era. I don't know if it's coronavirus. I don't know if it's, the weird, the the surprisingly personal nature of how all of these speeches feel when the cameras, like we said, are zoomed in so tight and they're speaking directly to you. It does seem like everybody, even on Fox, was like caught was emotionally caught off guard by a lot of what happened this week. So I completely agree, and I think it's a bunch of cross currents there. I think they were genuinely surprised at how well the DNC came off given the technological challenges we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. I think there was some kind of the moment of history, taking in that moment of history of Kamala Harris's nomination. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of awe at the speeches generally. And then I think absolutely there is a get rid of Trump in, in factor in this. Absolutely. One, one really small point uh, that relates back to when, how Nicole Wallace was reacting and to how this is a, it was just a different, a different playing field. There was a point at the end of Obama's speech, Barack Obama's speech, where he said, basically, don't let them take that power away from you. Talking about, you know, they, they, they're, you know, the, the other side is uh, depending on your cynicism to, 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 for you to not vote, right? He's like, don't let them take your, that power away from you. And he was building and building and building. And this is the point where in another, if this was a in-person convention, where the crowd would have been screaming and his voice would have been raised and raised and raised, and it would have been progressing to this you know ultimate climax of sign off he took it down at that point because he had the opportunity to he didn't have to fight with the crowd or compete mm -hmm. with the crowd and he went back to say when he when he closed with you know you can give our democracy new meaning sort of in a reverse of the way that Michelle Obama's speech was constructed he was talking directly to every single person that was listening and he was able to make it so intimate because there was no conference hall that he had to fill up. And it it's a it's a small thing and an obvious thing. But that I think is what I that's what I mean, you, you everybody watching that felt something, you know, and that, and it's because you're not watching a normal thing. You're listening to someone talk to you. And it's it it can be really powerful. Totally. I was watching uh CNN late Wednesday night, and they did a split screen of Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon. <laughs> Now, usually it's just one of those two feeding it to guests, but they just did this really long segment themselves and they were just playing the dozens on Donald Trump. I mean, they were just like slaughtering Trump for like, it must be <laughs> like five or 10 minutes. And I'm just, I'm watching it. I'm like, what is happening? I, uh, I harvested one clip. I just want you to hear the first voice you're going to hear is Don Lemons, but listen to how Chris Cuomo closes this segment. Are they talking about? Have they ever seen this president try to speak English or deliver a a, a, a sentence with correct grammar or, or a complete statement 
or string a thought together? There is no worry about hypocrisy when you are looking to bring <laughs> hateration in this dancery. Mary J. Blige. <laughs> we have a lot to I mean, Oh my God, that was amazing. And you should have seen the Michael Scott look on his face when he cites the quote, Mary J. Blige, and just looks <laughs> at the camera like he's so proud of himself. Unbelievable. Oh, what a amazing. moment. All right, David, time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. Steve Bannon, the architect of Trump's 2016 victory, David, was arrested Thursday after he allegedly defrauded donors in his We Build the Wall nonprofit. He was arrested on a boat. That was a big fact, and several jokes came out of that. Well, one, this is the plot of the pilot of Arrested Development. <laughs> this is a clear-cut case of boater fraud. <laughs> oh, my God. And my favorite, finally, we've built a wall around Steve Bannon, thanks to Jake Christie, Scott Woodruff, and Chris Cleary. But wait, David, there's more Bannon, because before the arrest, did you see his appearance tanned, rested, and ready Steve Bannon when he beamed into Fox News last Sunday. Oh, my God. Scroll down your Google Doc uh, oh, if you have that. not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A lot of great jokes out of this one. Steve Bannon looks like the vengeful father of every Albanian terrorist killed by Liam Neeson. <laughs> Steve Bannon is the, is the marina foreman every Florida drug smuggler really needs to know. <laughs> This is from Jason Concepcion. If Ben Franklin ran a racist Jimmy Buffett fan site, and my favorite, want to feel old? This is the kid from Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Thanks to Isaac Chips for that. I didn't see that clip, but I did see him walking out of the courthouse after he posted bail or whatever, uh, looking. I mean, I love it. I love that that he's like put on weight, got real tan, let his hair grow long. I mean. And to be to, for all of those things, and then to be on the hundred and fifty foot yacht when the <laughs> when the the government comes in to snatch you up, I mean that is just he's living the life, man. I mean it might be the life of like a Bond villain, but he's living it. I, kudos <laughs> to that guy. Finally, David, the Republicans are putting together a convention guest list to try to outdo the Democrats. Democrats had Barack and Michelle Obama, mm -hmm. Colin Powell, Cindy McCain. The Republicans have. Gun-wielding St. Louis couple Mark and Patricia McCloskey, who you'll remember menaced Black Lives Matter protesters in June. Wait, they're actually going to be at the convention? They are going to be at the convention. I. It's a weird. I know that we live in a very divided age, but I was not. <laughs> I was literally unaware that there was a positive take on that meme or whatever it was, I, that, or that there was a counterpoint, I guess, to the memes that I saw about that. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, the bat that gave the world COVID-19 will also speak at the <laughs> Republican National Convention. Thanks uh, to Devo. If you found the perfect opening act for Eric and Don Jr., congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, in the notebook dump, David, let us continue with the convention and do some stuff that did not work so well. Because hmm. it was not perfect. Uh, can we nominate Mike Bloomberg? Oh, yeah, so just so I get this straight, Mike Bloomberg's effort to win the nomination was terrible. He wound up only winning American Samoa. So after spending a billion dollars on that failed campaign, he has contributed only $25 million to the Democratic Party and progressive groups. Meanwhile, as discussed on this pod, he laid off thousands of campaign employees who were led to believe they'd have work and health insurance through November. But he not only got a spot at the convention, he got the pre-Biden spot. What the hell? How did that happen? Uh, all that money, I think. I mean, I think there, there you know, for all the money, <laughs> he said actually he would just answered the question. So. Yeah. He said he would spend however much money. To, but where's to, the money? Well, a lot of people are asking that question. Um, and maybe this was part of the deal, you know, maybe, maybe this, this, you know, this, this slot uh, opens up the coffers or whatever, but, um, Ugh. yeah, I mean, listen, they, they, this was a weird speech for a lot of reasons. I, I forgot, I meant to try to find audio. Maybe we can find this of, uh, there was one bit where he, he kept trying to do these gags. Like he would try to do like funny, like eighties comedian 
like sound effect, like I talk radio sound effects. There's one thing point where he's talking about Trump says he has a great economy, and Bloomberg then just goes like, huh? <laughs> like, like it's like cartoonish. Yes. Uh, and then he kept he's like, hey, when he's talking about how he's been a, m- a member of like all the political parties, he trying to be real self-effacing or whatever. It was odd. You know, I mean they had they gave Kasich a big spot and Bloomberg's not, you know, I mean, it's not crazy that they would put Bloomberg there, but he's not exactly a Democratic standard bearer and didn't do anything in this primary to make it seem like he was any more of that than we would have thought six months ago or a year ago. Um, you know, I don't know why he was there. I don't know why he was there. It was a very odd speech. Um, but if this, you know, he definitely has his adherence and he definitely has a lot of money to spend and... I thought, you know, one of the kind of wonders about this convention is that it can be consumed and it's going to be consumed piecemeal going forward for the next month, for, you know, month or so. And and um, no one has to watch Mike Bloomberg if they don't want to. Uh, great tweet from Casey Morell. Someone please isolate that Bloomberg incredulous, huh? Oh, and, com- <laughs> and compare it to the Tim Allen home improvement noise. That's a great tweet. I also like this. From Talking Alex. about people who are going to appear at the Republic celebrities at the Republican convention. Tim <laughs> Allen may be the only Tim one. Tim Allen there. available. Yeah. Uh, also like this from Alex Burns of the New York Times. Bloomberg, whose candidacy imploded because he could not defend his own policing record and treatment of women, gets a prime speaking slot at a convention dominated by themes of racial justice and gender equality. Uh-huh. And speaking of which, David, and probably also on this list, Bill Clinton is still a Democratic convention speaker? Bill yeah. Clinton, you can be canceled and also speak at the Democratic National Convention. This is where we are in this calculation. I will say this. One of, I thought, my big takeaways from Barack Obama's, President Obama's speech, and, and, and that, that made me, gave me some amount of solace about Clinton, was that it felt like that Barack has firmly taken Bill Clinton's role as explainer-in-chief or as communicator-in-chief, no matter who the president is, President Obama will always be there to help make the case. Yes. And the, and, and moving Bill Clinton to the sort of, at, at a bare minimum, the unnecessary stack, uh, I thought, you know, was a positive, a positive overall. So he's been demoted to, to vice explainer in chief and Barack Obama has taken the Clinton role from the 08 and 12 conventions. I like that. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's good. We could do a whole category on stuff Trump tweeted during the conventions. Uh, there was the Goodyear boycott. There was the support for Laura Loomer and on and on and on. I do want to talk about the fake Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez controversy that was generated by NBC. Oh, yeah. Tuesday, AOC submitted a procedural motion seconding Bernie Sanders' nomination president. This happens all the time for losing presidential candidates. AOC, of course, was one of Bernie's big early endorsers. Mm -hmm. NBC tweets this in one of the shortest speeches of the DNC rep Ocasio-Cortez did not endorse Joe Biden. (laughs) AOC responds via Twitter that this tweet sparked an enormous amount of hatred and vitriol. And now the misinfo you created is circulating on other networks. Indeed, it was the New York post front page on Wednesday reads AOC Joe Oh, my God. With a subhead of socialist firebrand, doesn't even mention Biden in speech. Fox News ran with the angle all day. And I saw there was a Margaret Sullivan column about this Watch Post. This is one of those things that you go back and try to correct if you're NBC, but it's too late, right? Mm-hmm. There is no effective correction. Like, what is no. the effective correction correction after 24 hours of right-wing misinformation? Yeah. It doesn't matter. And it's all they, they need, all these outlets need is just a millimeter of legitimacy uh, given to a crazy subject by another network, right? By 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 a legitimate outlet. And, and then they're off to the races. Absolutely. I mean, Dave Waggle always jokes about Dems and disarray, right? That's mm-hmm. the story people really want to write. Yeah. Left wing of the party is not on board with Joe Biden. Never mind that AOC was doing a normal convention thing anyway. All right, couple more, couple more things I want to get to with the convention. First, David, is this kind of slickly produced, highly remote political convention going to be? And here I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Uh-huh. The new normal. Oh, uh, I hope so. Is yeah. that an okay answer? Yes. <laughs> there was absolutely nothing about this week, and I say this is someone that is like, you know, likes being amongst like-minded people. You know, I mean, there's 
I like going to big sporting events and you know being at the hotel and whatever. I mean, like there, there's there's positive aspects to this, but I, I didn't miss as a viewer at home. I, there is nothing about the traditional convention that I missed at all. And uh, they've done a really, you know, fine job over the past couple of decades of making this uh, sp- this live audience spectacle into a television product. But what this this week accomplished what was about twenty years overdue, which is that this is should be a wholly television driven product. And um, if if the you know hundreds thousands of people there in live crowds is what was holding them back, and thank God they weren't there this time. I, I don't miss. I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure there will continue to be a functional live human being element to this going forward, and there should be. But presentation wise, I hope this is the new normal. Lastly, and this is to be unpacked over the next week. But what do we think the Republican version oh. of the virtual convention is going to look like next week? I mean, it'll look a lot the same. I think that technical difficulties notwithstanding, I mean, I think that there's, you could do, you could put out a vastly inferior pro- product that would still feel about 90% the same, right? Um, I think that we know that they're like constructing sets in the Rose Garden right now, right? I mean, they're going to, Trump is going to make significant use of the White House grounds. So that will be a distinction. and. If I'm not mistaken, there is a more of an in-person element to this going on in Charlotte as we speak, or people are arriving there as we speak. But practically, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what do you think it's going to look like? So I think there's a possibility of a Fox News effect here, which is Fox News is worse than than MSNBC and CNN, mm-hmm. but it is at some visceral level more effective than MSNBC and CNN. Mm-hmm. So you could have something that does not have the production skill of the DNC, but has some, you know, appeal to the TV yeah. audience. Oh, yeah. That is stronger than the DNCs. I don't know. I'm still playing with that thought, but it's going to look like Fox News. <laughs> that is the tone and tenor, right? We're, we're not going to be saying this looks like Parks and Rec next week. No, 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 no. No, I think it'll I think it'll be a little bit more lo-fi and it'll feel almost exactly the same in terms of presentation. You know, I mean, it, to, to the vast majority of people watching. I mean, it would be kind of great if Fox News was just like just a full partner in the whole thing. If sure Trump's not going to be, he was calling into Hannity last. I night. was going to say, should you, what if if Trump's entire acceptance speech was just was was done over the phone to the Fox and Friends crew? <laughs> would that be? Do you think that would be better than what we're going to get? Yeah, we're uh, going to trade Ava Longoria for Will Kane. What a what a swap that would be! All right, let's do a little listener mail day before we get out of here. All right. Did you see everybody on Twitter doing the post the Vanity Fair cover from the month you were born bit this week? Oh no. That was kind of fun. You know, some people could say, hey, look, naked Sylvester Stallone was on a motorcycle the month I was born in the 80s. Uh, Tina Brown was the editor of many of those issues of Vanity Fair, of course. And Brown was famous for doing high-low, high-brow and low-brow journalism in the same issue. Mm -hmm. One of the covers that was posted, September 1989, Vanity Fair. I'm going to read you the cover lines. Tell me if this is not the ultimate in Tina Brown high-low. Are you ready? (laughs) Okay. Headline number one, The Women Who Still Sleep with the Rolling Stones by Kevin Sessoms. Okay. (laughs) Headline number two, Paraguay, A Despot Falls by Alex (laughs) Shumatov. So, (laughs) The Women Sleeping with the Rolling Stones, The Fall of the Strong Man of Paraguay. That That was the Tina Brown magic at its height. Uh, this is from listeners Max Baumgarten and Chris Vanini. Was the theme for the Democratic National Convention, the old guys still got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. I thought that, I mean, that's, I feel like if we had more of a traditional campaign, we probably would be getting a lot more of the old guys still got it uh, energy from Team Biden. Mm-hmm. I think because the terms of engagement have sort of shifted, you know, I mean, it's, we've sort of, now it's just a given that he's going to be sitting at home doing video conferences that he can give these speeches that really suit his style, looking directly into the camera and, and everything else. All, the, the message was almost like the old guy doesn't need to got it. Like the old, the old, the old guy's got just enough 
to do what we need to do right now. You know, he's got a little. He's got some. He's got a whiff of what he used to have. <laughs> and that's better than what we had. That's better than the other option. Right. You know? And, and Yes. And you're right. And you know what? The old guy's still got it. Often really is the old guy's got just enough, right? Yeah. The the, the recent like Martin Scorsese movie, it's not going to be in the classic Scorsese pantheon. But Scorsese, the old guy's just got enough. The new Bob yeah. Dylan album, right? He's just got enough. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little. He he makes you remember when he had it. Like that's that's if you if you got enough to 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 make people nostalgic, then maybe you still got it. Did we mention this earlier that absolutely nobody was a bigger beneficiary of the virtual convention? I'm I'm not sure I would ever imagine myself saying this than Joe Biden. I mean, absolutely pulled everything positive out of that guy. It is going to be the absolute opposite for Trump, taking away the arena show for Trump next week. That is going to be absolutely incredible to watch. This is from listener Scott Mitchell. Uh, I do not believe the former Detroit Lions quarterback. Has Biden-era Camelot already begun? Both the media and the Democrats seem to yearn for that relationship, but is it still possible? Um. I'm not sure we're ever going to see high Kennedy Camelot ever again in American media. And thank God for that. But there was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of Biden love on cable news this week Uh huh. and on Twitter. There, there really was. And how the media treats Biden after treating him, I think extremely skeptically in the primaries and even through him probably winning the nomination, probably even up to a couple of weeks ago. Their relationship is something we should do a full segment on because that will be fascinating. Yeah, I think that's right. But I also I also think that Biden, the team Biden, Biden himself, however you want to do it, have set the table really well for it. And I don't mean just the, the autobiographical stuff, because, I mean, Biden's always been open about that. He's not there's no heavy handedness. I mean, it was this is this is what makes him the man who he is. But I think. More particularly, he hasn't made he's they've worked really hard for him to not be a target of derision or skepticism to the news media. Right. I mean, it's almost like getting out of his own way. And they did a really good job of that this week, both as I talked about before, kind of making it seem like he was doing this out of a sense of honor and obligation. But also, you know, I think it was it Michelle Obama who said, you know, Joe's not perfect. He'd be the first person to tell you that. You know, I mean, like he's just a regular guy and there's going to be he's going to screw up. You know, I mean, like he's just anybody else. And I think I think that, you know, Barack Obama made a really strong argument for how Biden can be a continuation of that legacy. But Biden is really Biden is not being too heavy handed about being some transformative political figure. No, he's not, and And I think that by kind of. Keeping it low key, it's a much. I think it's much easier. I mean, it just makes it. It's much more of a straight line to like. Okay, let's embrace this guy's human background because it is a really touching, significant story. But I don't know if Camelot's a, what, what I would say. I mean, Camelot's not. The no. tragedy isn't so implicit, right? I mean, it's just or explicit. It's yeah, not at that point anyway. This is a story that 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 yes, it's catnip to the media in so many ways, but it should be. It's 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 an effective and important story for all of us to know. Listener Lee D'Angelo checks in with a pun. Uh, She writes, two hurricanes are forecasted to come our way in the Gulf next week at the same time. Every meteorologist is making this joke. Seeing double? No, you don't need to check your vision. It's (laughs) 2020. Woo! (laughs) That, That definitely feels like a meteorological level joke. No offense to America's meteorologists. But uh, 2020 vision, I feel, has already been a was overworked on like January 2nd. So glad to know it's coming to uh, America's weather forecasts. This is from listener Will Ogburn, who's a social media producer. One of the best segments y'all have done lately was the what writers say when sharing an article they haven't read. Here's a version of that from my industry. If a usually serious person retweets a meme or video with the caption spot on or especially so good. I know that meme video is going to be something I would never laugh at if I found it on my own. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Will Ogburn. I got to say, so we're making fun of the way journalists respond to the work of other journalists. Yeah. So I did a piece last week. All the tweets are always read Brian Curtis. These are the things I made fun of. Always read Brian Curtis. Fun piece! Exclamation point. So all the things we we outlined as possibly insincere praise, people who listen to this show just put that onto my article. 
So I just have completely, I've completely destroyed my, my, my I'm never mentioning this again. I think all praise is great on social media. You just, journalists should just go off and praise people. And I'm never going to criticize that again. Finally, David, from our pal, Ed Wyatt, he sends along some more Australian news audio. Remember when we had Siga regrets guy on last week? <laughs> this is newscaster Basil Zempelis from channel seven in Perth. Zempelis was doing some NBA highlights, NBA very big in Australia, but Basil apparently did not renew his league pass subscription this year because listen to these highlights. One of the NBA's biggest stars is in hot water on the eve of the playoffs. Giannis Antetokounmpo was rejected for headbutting during the Bucks' penultimate regular season game against the Wizards. They're going to toss it, my gosh. That's not good. The Greek freak and Portland's Damian Lilliard scored a remarkable 61 points to get the Blazers over the line. So, mispronouncing Giannis' last name. Totally understandable. Totally, yeah. Damon Lilliard, we probably should have checked with somebody before we went on air with the uh, Dame highlights. I don't know, man. I like Damon Lilliard. Or da- Damon Lilliard. Yeah. Was Damon Lilliard is a great alter ego. Wasn't he one of the Scream movies? I can't remember. <laughs> All right, time for David Shoemaker guesses a strained pun headline. All right. Monday's pun above a story about Matthew McConaughey interviewing Dr. Anthony Fauci was Fauci gives McConaughey True directives. This week's pun comes from Andrew Greif, basketball writer for the LA Times. It's a pun book title from the new memoir of Nick Nurse, Toronto Raptors head coach and NBA champion. By the way, David, this is the only sports book this year that will come with a blurb from Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. (laughs) I am not kidding. That is actually on the book. Wow. The title of the book is one word, one word. It's a pun on Raptor. What was Nick what? Nurse's strained pun book Wait, this title? is the title of the book or the title of the article? This is the title of the book. The fact Raptor. that it's not good night nurse or more strainedly <laughs> good good right nurse, I think, is uh, is <laughs> really disheartening. Uh, rap- so it's one word. It's based on Raptor. Uh, rapt, uh, ra- uh, one word. One word. Ra- uh, Raptor. Uh, Raptor, raptor, uh, simple as can be, David. Wrapped, R A P T, wrapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keep a- thinking. Uh, maybe a little bit of a religious connotation. Yeah, uh, rapture, Ra- rapture. <laughs> that is that is the name of the book. Wow. Rapture. Fifteen wow. teams, four countries, one NBA championship, and how to find a way to win. Damn near anywhere. Buy it now and get a Justin Trudeau blurb with the purchase price. He is David <laughs> Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. We're back Monday. Please join us and don't bring any of that hateration into this dancery. <laughs> Mary J. Blige. <laughs> See you then, David. Can we edit out the good right nurse so I can just use that for my uh, review of this book? For Absolutely. Ringer.com. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon to the ringer.com. See you, David. Later, bye.